Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. This is actually an episode we're going to do to cover both the months of July and August 2023. So we're kind of in the middle of the summer and we uh, want to sort of take the opportunity to kind of cover a, a good amount of stuff. Uh, and then we'll be back to you with our next episode uh, after Labor Day uh, in in September. So I basically want to get to this idea of uh, a, a catch-up at the middle of the year. So we'll sort of talk about what we're looking for in the second half, but in some ways provide a mid-year outlook. And of course, as it has been the case for a year and a half about, we, we start with a look at inflation. So we know that inflation uh, was elevated. The Fed was unhappy with that. We've all been watching for evidence that inflation is coming down. And dare I say, it really has uh, settled down a bit. Uh, When we look at things like the consumer price index, the headline index, the producer price index, the headline index, and we look, for example, at three-month rolling averages, they're down around... um, 0.17, 0.17, which is the, and this is the monthly data, and this is basically right around the equivalent of the Fed's annualized 2% target. Another important note is that break-even rates have come down, so the market's implying a 1.5% inflation rate for the next year, and uh, slightly above 2, but 2.2% annualized for the next three years. Now, uh, this cooling of inflation has uh, anchored to a good degree in things that had been sticky, like we're starting to see shelters slowly come down, uh, and real-time data, as we've discussed before, like Zillow rent index type data, uh, is uh, cooling faster. And then things like uh, used cars and trucks, for example, which were elevated for a bit, and they've really cooled and kind of corrected. In any event, the inflation has cooled down, uh, but I would say that the job market remains a little bit firm, not as firm as it's been, Um, We've seen a decline in openings like uh, job openings via the JOLTS report and non-form payrolls and even initial jobless claims increase. But the bottom line is by by historic norms, the labor market's still pretty tight. That's captured in the fact that wage growth remains a little bit above levels that the Fed would like to see. And so I think the Fed's focused certainly on the inflation data. They're focused on labor. Punchline is just recently... They hiked uh, point uh, their Fed funds rate another quor- uh, 25 basis points or a quarter of a point to a range of five and a quarter to five and a half. Um, it's the highest it's been in quite a long time, a couple decades or so. Uh, and they did acknowledge, and we'll get to this in a minute, that the economy continues to expand. Now they're using the term moderate, a moderate rate rather than just modest. Uh, in any event, they are certainly not signaling a pause but they're talking a lot about uh, essentially uh, the data, watching the data, looking uh, through the data, and kind of adjusting as they go. So I would say right now the market's forecasting that the Fed is actually done, but they're not verbally committing to that. Now, we know that high rates uh, do present challenges. You can kind of think of it as the cost of debt, uh, for example, going up, and that is a headwind to businesses and the consumer, which is actually by design, right? The Fed's trying to hike rates and slow down uh, activity. In any event, we still have a yield curve that is inverted. And in fact, with these latest actions, 
short-term rates, you can think of things like uh, T-bills and shorter uh, treasury bonds up above 5%. And um, and then the 10-year is, is a really a bellwether or, or reference index for interest rates is uh, hovering just below 4%. And so the, the curve is inverted. Rates are high. And we know what that means is that different forms of debt uh, uh uh, you know, essentially, there's less uh, s- uh, lending, so credit conditions are a little bit tighter. Banks are lending a little bit less, and just that cost of debt is causing borrowers to pause and say, "Do I really want to take out more loans or, or an, a loan uh, as I'm doing what I do, whether it be consumers or businesses?" Um, in any event, that, again, that's all kind of orchestrated by the Fed. One of the things that did happen, though, in March, as we've discussed before, is we had some bank failures really tied to these movement in interest rates. And so the, everyone's kept a close eye on the banking sector. I will say that while uh, you know there's more uh, to, to watch and all that, the, the Fed, for example, has a, um, a process for watching the Fed or, I'm sorry, for the banking system, and they describe it still as sound and resilient. Um, in any event, the other thing I'd say is that investors have sort of turned their focus from worrying about uh, uh, banks to going under uh, over to earnings um, and essentially watching for, certainly for de- deposit declines, that's going to have an impact on bank results. But think of it as the uh, bank stocks are trading more on earnings than they were on worry uh, than they were a while ago, which was when they were trading on worry about uh, the banks, you know, sticking around, if you will. In any event, you know, there's still, uh, again, sort of time will heal and, and help things further. Um, but the bottom line is that the banking, quote unquote, crisis has calmed down. Now, now with that and that idea of borrowing, we are we also did a lot of work on what I'll call the sort of the real estate market, you know, the slowdown perhaps of uh, home sales, uh, either because borrowers don't want to get mortgages, but also uh, sellers anticipating that uh, that the demand will s- slow, so maybe they're going to hold off on selling homes. In any event, when you look on the commercial side, that's a huge market. Think of it as commercial real estate, $11 trillion, with $4.5 trillion of debt against that $11 trillion. And so there's been a big focus on whether commercial real estate is going to hold up and I would say, generally speaking, the feeling is yes, it will, with the, with the exception of sort of thinking of think of it as second tier office space. So as we see whatever slowdown we ultimately have in the economy, and frankly, also with the reopenings of the economy, companies sort of pivoting to going more part time uh, in terms of being in the office. There's just softer demand in the office space, and and actually valuations in that segment have um, adjusted. But I would say, generally speaking, especially the the, we tend, the way we tend to invest, which is through active management, either in the public or private uh, equity uh, market and real estate market, um, essentially things have held up reasonably well, and and it's an in the kind of environment where a good active manager can hold up and, and do pretty well. In any event, with those sort of troubles in mind, we we know that there's been uh, almost a desire on the part of the Fed to slow the economy down a little bit, to kind of soften it. But at the same time, with their rate hikes, they've been hoping for what they've called a soft landing. And honestly, it looks like we they may be achieving that. We may be achieving that. But let's get to sort of the backdrop. So basically, there's, as we've talked about before, quite a significantly larger money supply than the pre-pandemic levels. The balance sheet of the Fed uh, has blown out. They're starting to 
um, essentially let bonds mature and let their balance sheet slowly decline in size, but that's really very, very slow. There continues to be excess savings uh, in the consumer's pockets. And, you know, there's sort of different models. I've seen numbers in it ranging anywhere from $400 billion to just under a trillion. Regardless, it's a lot of liquidity and sort of ample reserves for people to keep spending. And I will say the data we've watched for supply chain uh, has really eased uh, to a point where things are even moving maybe even a little bit better than pre-pandemic. In any event, the consumer has held up. They're, they're, they're slowing down a little bit, but they've held up. And, um, and, and on the business side, we've seen a slowdown, uh, but n- not too bad. Again, different data points kind of coming down to levels that would imply sort of a 0% growth rate, which is sort of what we called for at the beginning of the year. Um, and and uh, so, you know, a slowdown in business activity. But, you know, the punchline is how's the economy doing? Well, we just recently had the first estimate of the second quarter 2023 GDP uh, and again, think of this as an annualized number, but it's basically came in at 2.4%. And the consensus forecast, which was already higher than people at first were thinking, the consensus was for 1.8%. So the, at least the first estimate actually outperformed, um, if you will, the, um, uh, the consensus up to 2.4%. So that's a very firm number. And so I think it surprised everyone uh, on the upside. It is an indication that the economy is holding up despite the Fed's uh, effort to slow it down and, and those higher rates. What that's meant for uh, economic forecasters, both our colleague, Dr. Lindsay Piegs, uh, uh, our chief economist, as well as others in the industry, essentially think of it as their forecast for the economy being softened in terms of the worries about uh, recession and pushed out in time. And so people are talking about maybe you know, some contraction oh, in the fourth quarter or in the first half of 2024, but um, some firms, in fact, are saying, no, we're going to get through this without any kind of economic contraction from here. Uh, and so for sure, that could be described as a, th- as a soft landing. Now, I want to take a quick minute and talk about politics and geopolitics. So first, as it relates to geopolitics, you know, uh, we've talked a bit recently about uh, U.S.-China relations. Uh, it's one of our long-term themes, the idea of uh, productive competition, where, among other things, we, we're tracking China and the U.S. and our, our sort of competition and relationship. And I, what I would say is, you know, China's fighting hard. They're, they're still uh, looking to try to keep their economy going. Um, they're trying to be more present globally. Uh, at the same time, I'd say a couple uh, U.S. officials have engaged um, with China. Uh, so, for example, Secretary of State Blinken uh, visited there first time in five years, and that led to sort of friendly signals that we would agree we agree to talk further, uh, and that, but that we are going to compete vigorously. Also, a Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has been engaged and. Um, and uh, so, again, just little signals that we're wanting to, to interact with China, but against a backdrop of uh, some tensions and competition. In any event, when we look at the second half focus uh, in Washington, D.C., so turning more to the political environment, you know, some of the things that we see happening is, uh, number one, the potential for a government shutdown because there's a lot of sort of standard um, legislation that has to get done in a very short time. So there's a decent chance of a government shutdown later this year. Um, Number two, uh, essentially we know that there's um, uh, 
essentially uh, a focus on M&A, antitrust, and really looking at ways to um, you know, soften that activity and be very mindful whether, whether certain companies have um, more of a mono, monopolistic uh, sort of lock on things. So, for example, there's even some soft talk about breaking up Amazon. In any event, as ever, you know, the, the activities in D.C. are very, very tense in a way, uh, very polarized. Um, and that will manifest itself for sure in the 2024 election where um, our expert, and I should have mentioned at the beginning of this part, uh, Brian Gardner, our chief Washington policy strategist, basically is calling for a, uh, a rematch of 2020, meaning Biden versus Trump. So we'll see how that all unfolds. Mm-hmm. Now getting to sort of uh, uh, the idea of a mid-year outlook and, and where we are and where we're headed, recall that we've uh, talked a lot about signposts towards finding balance. That was sort of the theme and the direction that we talked about at the beginning of the year with our outlook. And some things have come into uh, into focus and sort of uh, where we've sort of accomplished the items described in the signposts. Things like China uh, re- reopening its economy and growing again. Yes. Alignment between the market expectations and Fed forecasts on the Fed funds rate. Yeah, pretty much. A trough in consumer uh, confidence. A strong maybe. Shelter costs coming down. Yes. Wage growth slowing, yes, maybe not quite to the Fed's preferred level, and then a movement towards uh, market or labor market equilibrium, and kind of not quite there, but reasonably well along. Uh, finally, company earnings um, essentially showing some um, recovery from what has been sort of a negative signaling from companies as they've reported. And in fact, so when we look at our for our outlook for the full year of 2023, we we had what we thought was a reasonably assertive uh, equity market uh, forecast of uh, 8% for the full year, and we're well above that. Uh, so markets have held up better than expected. The economy has held up better than expected. And so just think of it as, you know, essentially the surprise has been a little bit to the upside. Uh, but I will say that, uh, and, and let me just give you a couple of numbers. So for example, the S&P 500 index of 20% year to date, happens to be through July 26. The equal weighted, which sort of softens the impact of those big tech companies that have performed really well, up almost 11%. So again, a, re- a really pretty good equity market. In any event, what that translates to is higher valuations. So for example, if we are looking at um, the uh, price earnings ratio of the S&P 500 based on the consensus view of earnings for the full year 2023, we're at a ratio of about 21 uh, which is well above sort of long-term uh, PE ratio uh, averages. And then if we instead focus in on the 2024 earnings, so uh, future earnings, basically we're at a, a, a PE ratio of about 19, still a little bit ahead. Uh, one other data point I'll mention is we need to earn another about 5% to get back to the previous record highest of the S&P 500. So significant recovery in the equity market. And in fact, people wonder about um, the pattern of the equity market. One study we took a quick look at was looking at all the years going back to 1954 is the first time this happened in our window, at least, um, where the equity market is defined by the S&P 500. It was up greater than 10% in the first half. And basically, when you look at the second half performance, well, first of all, the the average first half return for all those uh, years where that happened was up 16%. The average uh, second half performance was another 11%. 
And so save for um, 1975, where it was down in the second half, it was up 42% in the first half and down 3% in the second. And then 1986, up 21%, down 2%. In 1987, we had that quote-unquote crash of 87. It was up 27% and then down 17 in the second half. Otherwise, every other year, and there's a lot of years, you know, probably another 20 different calendar years uh, that I'm staring at here, we're up... Uh, strongly, and the average recovery it was again eleven percent. So we're up again year to date, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, in the first half of the year up seventeen percent. And so the big question is, and that's very close to that long term average. Where do we go from here? So we'll see. In any event, I mentioned the idea of earnings uh, getting better. The way that manifests itself in the data is really when we look at either the next 12 months or let's say calendar year 2024 and what the forecasts are for earnings. They've basically been improving, right? And I think people are interpreting this economic data. Maybe we're uh, going to skirt a recession and that feeds into sort of forecasts for individual companies that rolls up to better earnings and, and therefore overall the market holding up a little bit better. Now, another thing that has, has been talked about, I mentioned those valuation levels. That's driven, um, and, and the PEs being a little bit high, that's driven to a very good degree by those uh, big tech, sec, uh, big tech uh, uh, companies that have performed really, really well in 2023. If we look across the breadth of the market, I would just say that the, um, that the uh, uh, valuations are, are kind of dispersed, meaning there's some companies that are really highly valued, others that by historic standards actually look kind of cheap. And so what I would say about that is that for people that are really diversified, you know, the market maybe isn't quite as overvalued, and it certainly represents in terms of valuation some equity uh, investment opportunities that we know active managers try to take advantage of. We know we're in an, env- an environment of higher rates and therefore high, higher yields on bonds. But just to get to the punchline, uh, I want to think of three things we're covering and or three topics where we want to get into the three things we're focused on for each. So for the economy, our areas of focus are the labor market. We want to see that cool down a little bit. Consumer spending, we expect that to cool down but remain reasonably firm. And then any other additional lag effects of the Fed's rate hikes sprinkling into the economy. For inflation, we were looking for, uh, in three areas, basically, um, shelter prices to cool further, uh, super core services, that think of it as services beyond shelter, and then inflation expectations remaining down at lower levels or maybe going a little bit lower. Then finally, for markets, the three things we're focused on are company earnings. So I've talked about Uh, how they've improved a little bit. That's going to be driven by stabilizing and hopefully improving profit margins. And with that, and kind of corresponding to that is cap cap expenditures, capital expenditures, or CapEx, meaning our company's investing. That's usually a sign of optimism. And so those those three things are actually all interrelated, and we're going to watch all those very, very closely. I want to take the opportunity to remind folks um, uh, to check out stiefelinsights.com. Uh, we just recently did a second half of the year webinar, myself, Dr. Lindsay Piggs, and Brian Gardner. Uh, so you can go to stiefelinsights.com uh, and check out that replay, as well as a report we published recently, which we talked about in the last episode. I'll just uh, mention it again, which is uh, our long-term investment themes. Uh, the title of the report, From Vision to Value, Our Long-Term Investment Themes. And the idea is, hey, we're looking at different things like technological innovation and and 
uh, key strategic resources and shifting demographics and new ways of uh, consumption or the, uh, the new consumer. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, productive competition. Hey, that's what we wanted to cover in this episode. Uh, so thanks so much uh, for listening, and we'll catch you uh, in the fall. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.